You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Verses 1 through 4. This is what Holy Scripture says. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us have ears to hear this morning? Would you help us listen with a heart to receive? Father, I would pray that you would awaken us to, to love what you love, to value what you value. Pray that we receive with a spirit of humility this morning. We acknowledge this morning that you are God and we are not. We acknowledge this morning that you've said that you love us. And so may that compel us to want to hear from you, from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's look here at verse one, okay? you don't have a Bible, you, there's some in the back on the little tables. If, if you don't own one, please take one. It's also on the screen here. Verse 1 says this, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. So he just got done preaching what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, he's preaching about his kingdom. He's preaching about what it means for, for, for Jesus to rule and reign. And what is a community that, where Jesus rules and reigns, what does that look like? And he's given this amazing sermon over the course of chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. And he's done. And now he's coming down off the mountain. People are still captivated with who he is. They want to be around him, and so they follow him. Okay? And then it says, and behold, this is Matthew just saying something like, look, or check this out. That's, that's his form of emphasis, like, oh, there's something interesting here. Check it out. Behold. Okay, he's drawing our attention to something unique. Well, what is that? And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So the first thing I want you to see here is that this required great boldness on the part of this man. Now, why would you say that? Well, we have to understand the world of the Bible. We have to understand that the Bible's world is not our world. It's very different. Different issues, different culture, different context, okay? So we can read this and and think, you know, like, hey, what's the big deal? This is just uh, a guy that approaches Jesus. Sounds pretty simple and straightforward. Well, it's not simple and straightforward if you understand the world of the Bible. And in the world of the Bible, they had a bit of a public health crisis. They had this disease called leprosy. Now, 
to help us, again, understand the world of the Bible, let me read a description of leprosy from a professional. This is a, a guy who worked um, in medical missions with lepers in the beginning of the 20th century. This is what he says. The disease, which we today call leprosy, generally begins with pain in certain areas of the body. Numbness follows. Soon the skin in such spots loses its original color. It gets to be thick, glossy, and scaly. In fact, the affliction is called leprosy because it makes the skin scaly. The Greek word lepos or lepis means scale. As the sickness progresses, the, thicket, the thickened spots become dirty sores and ulcers due to poor blood supply. The skin, especially around the eyes and ears, begins to bunch with deep furrows be, uh, between the swellings. So that the face of the afflicted individual begins to resemble that of a lion. Fingers drop off or are absorbed. Toes are affected similarly. Eyebrows and eyelashes drop out. By this time, no one can see that the person in this pitiable condition, I'm sorry, at this time, one can see that the person in this pitiable condition is a leper. By a touch of the finger, one can also feel it. One can even smell it, for the leper emits a very unpleasant odor. Moreover, in view of the fact that the disease-producing agent frequently also attacks the larynx, the leper's voice acquires a grating quality. His throat becomes hoarse, and you can now not only feel, see, and smell the leper, but you can hear his rasping voice. And if you stay with him for some time, you even imagine a peculiar taste in your mouth, probably due to the odor. All the senses of the well person are engaged in the detection of the leper. Now, during the time when the Bible was written... As you can imagine, leprosy was feared greatly, it was stigmatized. It was a horrible disease. And there's many stories in the Bible about people with leprosy, and not one of them is painted in, in glamorous terms. The, the testimony of the Bible and science is that this was a horrible affliction, no known cure. That's what made it even worse. So what did they do? The only option was quarantine, isolation. And so leper colonies were established where we just had to put these people in a separate space, keep them isolated in a way because we can't allow this to spread. And the Old Testament law said if they approached anyone, they had to call out, unclean, unclean just to alert people that a leper was in their midst. Now, leprosy was not only just a horrible disease, physically speaking, but it took on a religious ceremonial category as well. They were viewed as ritually, religiously defiled. Anyone who had it was deemed ceremonially unclean. That's why they had to call out, unclean, unclean. And so they were cut off from the religious and social life of the community. Right? You couldn't be in the presence of someone who was like that. Because then you might be unclean as well. 
So we don't really get that anymore because we don't live in, in, in that kind of religious context anymore. But that was the world of the Bible for Jewish people at that time. In addition to this, oftentimes in the mind of an ancient Jewish person, if you saw someone with leprosy, you might think, man, this is really just the wrath of God on them. They must have done something wrong. He, you know, you reap what you sow. God's paying them back for misdeeds, and so they have leprosy. So, you know, God's just judging them for this. Jesus is going to turn some of these categories on their head. Let's take a look at this. So when, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Verse 2, and behold, a leper came to him. So again, let's imagine this in our minds. Jesus just preached this amazing sermon. People are captivated. They're having their, 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 their religious categories just rocked. And he comes down off the mountain, and they're just still following him. It's like you, you've seen like a, a, some type of a leader who's very, very popular, maybe a politician or something. And they're on a march maybe. And, and people are gathered around them. And wherever he goes, they go. It's just like this, this parade of sorts. And so that's kind of what's going on here. You can imagine that. And, and in the midst of that kind of commotion and moving of people together, Matthew reports that a leper came to him, meaning he was bold enough to recognize Jesus had the power that he needed, and he was humble enough to ask for it. Now, coming towards Jesus in this context must have taken great courage because he was a leper. It doesn't say here that he was calling out, unclean, unclean. There's great stigma in their culture surrounding this. You can imagine people plugging their noses or whispering to one another, shielding the kids. Like, what's this guy doing? Or, or they're thinking deep down, like, this guy's kind of a monster. What, what's, what's Jesus going to do with him? Like, this would have been like, okay, here comes a leper. Here's Jesus. All these people around. People would have stopped and paid attention. You feel that? Let's look at what Jesus says, and I really want us to pay attention to the words. First, it's what the leper says. He says, behold, a leper came to him, verse 2, and knelt before him. So you have a posture of profound humility, right? Kneeling before Jesus, and then he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So he says, if you're willing, meaning he respectfully doesn't presuppose mercy from Jesus, right? He doesn't demand, he doesn't feel entitled. But at the same time, he shows great faith. He's just saying, if you're willing to have it happen, I know you can do it. Like he knows that Jesus is sovereign. He knows that God is sovereign. No one can dictate the will of God. God doesn't seek our counsel. We seek his. God doesn't come to us for advice, for his plans, right? So he's saying, if you will, like I can't command you to do anything. But he acknowledges at the same time God is sovereign. At the same time, he is powerful. He has the power to heal. So this is biblical faith right here. We don't demand healing. We don't demand miracles from God. But we know that he can do it. And we're not afraid to ask him for it. In fact, he tells us to ask him for it. So the leper here is a, it's a great model for us of biblical faith. I want to draw your attention to, to the other, uh, 
draw your attention as well to something else here. It's very tragic if we understand the context again. Look at what he says. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. You can make me clean. So if we understand the world of the Bible, this will move our hearts in a unique way. See, Jesus heals a lot of people in the Bible. And there were people that were called paralytics. They were paralyzed. Maybe they couldn't walk because their, their legs just, maybe they were born with a birth defect or something. They, they were paralyzed. They were paralytic. And when you see Jesus interact with that person, we would say that he just simply heals them. They ask to be healed. Jesus, will you heal me? But this this scene is unique in the words that are used. He doesn't ask to be healed. What does he say? He asks to be clean. He asks to be cleansed. See, someone who has a physical special need needs to be healed. We don't speak of them as being unclean, right? The leper here is acknowledging that he needs to be healed, but he's also kind of a step lower on the totem pole. He's, he's viewed as unclean. He says he needs to be cleansed. See, leprosy declared someone more than broken but unclean. They were thought of, to use more of our language, they were thought of as icky. They were thought of as gross. Like unclean, stay away, don't come near my kids, don't come in my neighborhood. We're, we're classy around here. We don't like your kind around here. Don't come near. That was a leper. In Jesus' day. Like what a, what a horrible burden to bear. Right? The weight of carrying that around. You know, the physical challenges would have been enough to have your nervous system not working right. And you can't, your, your, your pain receptors don't work. And so your hands and your feet are just kind of a mess. And in addition to that, you're just completely isolated, rejected, and viewed as gross. Like we're social creatures. That kind of thing could be a crushing the weight to bear that. And so you can imagine in this scenario, with all of this going on, Jesus approaches, I'm sorry, the leper approaches Jesus and everybody's sitting there wondering what's about to go down here. Verse 3, look at it with me. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus touches him. Jesus touches him. And he says four simple words, I will be clean. But I want us to think about Jesus touching the leper. Like, don't miss this. This act of physical touch is a revolution for the original audience and can function for, for us in the same way if we allow Jesus to, to confront our assumptions. You can imagine people thinking, like, Jesus, what are you doing? You, you can't touch him. Like, wh why are you doing that? Like, don't you know that he's ceremonially unclean and you're like, 
I don't know, climbing the ladder of, of religious leaders in our day and age, and, and he's unclean, and doesn't that make now you unclean? Don't you know that he's contagious, Jesus? Jesus doesn't care. Jesus has a different agenda. And Jesus knows that he is the one ultimately who gets to define clean and unclean, not religious tradition. And think about this. This really moved my heart as I was preparing this week, and I think it can have the same effect on us. Like Jesus didn't have to touch this guy. We're going to see in our text next week that Jesus just speaks a word. No touching involved. And the guy is healed. That's next week. Just speaks a word. Done. But here, Jesus is said to have touched the leper. Like how long do you think it had been since he had been touched? Just normal human interaction that involves appropriate touch. Probably wasn't much, right? He probably didn't get a lot of pats on the back for a job well done, even if he had a job. He probably didn't get a lot of regular hugs from friends when he was having a bad day. He probably didn't get a lot of warm handshakes. He probably wasn't introduced to that many people. Probably already knew everybody in his leper colony. See, we know that when people are deprived of human touch, it usually doesn't go well for them. Like a lot of experiments have been done on babies that it's well documented that they don't receive regular touch in the first weeks and months. They can have serious developmental problems. You can imagine the void in this man's life. Just simply because he probably has not had much human contact, human touch. And Jesus reaches out and he touches him. He didn't have to, he was willing to. So, so don't miss the mercy here of Jesus. Jesus is willing to associate with the unclean. Jesus is willing to touch the unclean. Jesus is willing to welcome the unclean. So let's think about this for us in, in our community. Like we live in a cultural moment where there's coming to light through the Me Too movement, lots of horrible, inappropriate touch from men to women, sometimes from women to men. That's the moment we live in. There's also lots of horrible, horrible testimonies about abuse of all sorts in the church outside the church. So we have to be on guard in terms of human touch, right? There's, there's, there's a myriad of sinful temptations that you can lead yourself into through inappropriate physical contact with another human being. The Bible says, give no opportunity for the flesh, okay? So that has to be who we are as a, as a church family, right? We have to have appropriate vigilance. Yes and amen. That being said, let's not lose sight 
of the power and necessity of appropriate touch between human beings. It can have a powerful impact because God created us with mind and body, and he said that both are good, right? We have a soul and we have a body. God said they're both very good. So God created us as physical beings to use our physical bodies in appropriate ways to give glory to him and show love to others. Jesus models that. He touches the leper. So let's do that. How much more is that important for those that might be on the margins, right? People who don't get hugs, like hugs happen every single day in, in my biological family. Like this is what we do. We hug, right? Some people come from horrible families where that's not the norm or, or whatever type of physical touch is appropriate and normal for that family. So let me ask us along those lines, can we think of maybe a contemporary equivalent? Are there people that we think of as unclean? See, there's a lot of people that have lots of afflictions in our world today. And probably similar to leprosy, they didn't ask for that to be the case. It just is. Like nobody wanted to be a leper. It probably came to them and they weren't looking for it. Are, are there people that we think of that deep down maybe are icky, gross, maybe dangerous because they're icky? I mean, th these are not polite conversations, but I think we need to think about it. I think we need to be honest with ourselves. It was happening in Jesus' day. It happens in our day, too. We don't have leprosy in the same way, but we still have people that are on the margins. Maybe it's homeless people. Is it homeless people? Do we, do we not want to look them in the eye as they pass by? Now, listen, I know... Just, let's just take this example. I know that engaging with homeless people can be complicated. I have enough experience with that, being a pastor in the last 20-some years, that it's not just one, a one-to-one -one connection, simple issues, and you just, like, run in and be the Savior. And, like, that's just not how it works. That's a, a complex issue on how to engage people in poverty. That's not my sermon for today. Okay? I bring this up, though, just to ask us this. People on the margins, people that might be shunned in our culture. What's our heart disposition towards people that are at the margins of society? That's the only question I want to ask this morning. It seems like Jesus came with a posture of mercy and willingness to engage. Who are, who are those in, in our culture that are deemed icky, potentially dangerous, maybe because of how they look? Those who are stigmatized? What's our heart disposition toward those people? Like, here's another way to frame it. Jesus got into, I, don't, I wouldn't say trouble. Yeah, I guess I would say trouble. I'd say it also like this. Jesus made religious people raise their eyebrows 
based on who he hung out with at times, right? Jesus, that's a prostitute. Don't you know that she's unclean? Jesus, that's a tax collector. Don't you know that he's complicit with a government that's trying to hold us down? Why are you hanging out with someone who is like a part of the 1% and basically complicit with all the injustice that our community is receiving? Jesus, why do you hang out with him? Why do you hang out with this prostitute? Why, why are you touching a leper? Who are those people that if you were to engage them in public, you might get some looks or questions from your Christian friends? Who are those people? Who are those people that if you engage them in public, you might get some looks or questions from the religious elite? And maybe it's not even like a looking down on you for that. Maybe it's just simply a, man, that's pretty unique what you're doing there. What's going on there? Is it transgendered people? Homeless people? Now, hear me, I know these issues are extremely complex, and we're going to be talking about especially the gender issue in a sermon series in the new year. There's a lot we can say about that. There's a lot that the Bible says to that. But again, this morning, I'm not talking about that. I'm just asking about your heart posture towards people that are on the margins. People that are different, that don't fit the norm, might be awkward, messier than normal. How about senior citizens in the nursing home? Isolated. They've got not much to offer, right? If you're looking to climb the social ladder, hanging out with 90-year-olds probably isn't going to be your way to do that right? They might smell funny. They might drool. They might not be in their right mind. So if they approach us, what's our heart posture? I'm just asking, does it, does it look like Jesus? How about those that just have clear mental illness? So it might not be leprosy in our context, but I can think there are some cultural parallels that intersect with this text, and we can learn from Jesus. Like, are we at least willing to engage if presented with the opportunity, or is it more like, nope, I'm out of here? Let me close with Just kind of two sides of the coin here that I think we need to remember when it, goes, when it comes to engaging with people on the margins of society. On the one hand, this is just a great biblical interpretation principle that I want you to embrace. We can get into a lot of trouble when we read the Gospels especially and we see Jesus doing something and we think right away, well, just because Jesus did it, that means that I can do it. Because so, Jesus did it, that means that I'm also allowed to do that. So like Jesus turned over, the, the, got a whip and, and just went kind of crazy in righteous anger and turned over the tables and just rebuked the religious authorities and went nuts in the temple. And so like I can read that and go, well, Jesus got angry. So when I lash out at my kids and I have a temper or something, I just baptize that by saying that Jesus got angry too. Well, no. That's a, that's a very simplistic and shallow way to read your Bible. 
So just because Jesus did something doesn't mean that you're called to do it too. Sometimes, though, yes, you are. And that just takes some wisdom into understanding our Bibles. But just know that you can, if you're not thoughtful about it, this can get you in trouble. So sometimes yes, sometimes no. I don't think God calls us to solve all the world's problems, right? We can't most likely solve all the world's problems of those on the margins. You do what you can, and you know that one day God will make all things right. We have limitations. God has no limitations. But here's the other side of the coin. You'll never know what God might do through your life if you're just simply willing to engage, if you're just simply willing to show up and and maybe provide a word of encouragement, maybe provide an appropriate dignifying touch. Like you have no idea what the Holy Spirit might do. If you just show up, right? So no, you're not Jesus. And you're not guaranteed to immediately rescue someone from any sort of affliction. Sometimes if we embrace that mindset, like I'm the Savior, it's just going to eventually exhaust you because you're not. And it can sinfully enable others because they might be tempted to idolize you. But at the same time, God does miracles through his people all the time. If, if you just like, this is the metaphor that I love to think about. It's like, if you just dip your pinky toe in the deep end of the pool, sometimes the Holy Spirit will just shove you all the way in. And here's what's great, is he promises to swim with you. And he's not going to let you drown. So this is the call for us today. Jesus loves people isolated on the margins. Maybe you feel isolated on the margins today. Jesus says he's willing to come near you. Jesus says he's willing, if you receive him, to touch you. He doesn't view you as icky. He doesn't view you as gross. He's willing to engage with you. Jesus loves people on the margins. He has mercy for people on the margins. He touches them. He heals them. Jesus is the healer. So if you feel on the margins this morning, man, the leper is a great, a great example for us. You come and you kneel. You humble yourself before Jesus. And you recognize his sovereignty. And then you just ask because you believe in faith that he has the power to do all things. And in addition, we're called to join Jesus as we seek to engage those on the margins. So this is real simple why we have um, a, a focused serve in our city groups. And so each city group that we have at this church, if you're not in a city group, we encourage you to get, get in one. James is going to talk about that in a second. But every small group that we have has the, the mandate to engage some form of marginalized people in Madison. And we do that on a monthly basis. We structure it into the life of our community. So if you want to embody this text, we try to provide that structurally in the life of our church. All of our members are in city groups. 
And so this, you can make this text come alive in your life in one small way as our city groups engage with marginalized people in Madison. We, we come to those on the margins because Jesus came to us when we were on the margins spiritually. He spoke to us. He said, look to my cross and resurrection and be clean. That's what's happened to you if you are a Christian here this morning. Jesus has cleansed you from all of your sin. And then he calls you to join him in this ministry where we can join him in engaging those on the margins and seeking to restore what sin has broken. One way that we acknowledge how, how God has come to us when we were on the margins is how we engage those currently on the margins. So, so the call for our church from this text is that we would show the world together that Jesus is the great healer. And we do that through how we speak and that when we share about him. You know why I'm here right now? Because I love you. And I love because he first loved me. Can I tell you about that love? That kind of thing. And we just model it. We just model it through how we carry ourselves and how we're willing to put a hand on a shoulder. We're willing to give someone a hug. We're willing to, to say, hey, can I pray for you? This is our call as a church. And we do it together. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Would you help us by the power of your spirit see this text come alive? We, we, have, we have much room to grow. I know I do, Lord. And so we just ask for your help. Lord, we thank you that you are the great healer. We thank you that you promise to make all things right, whether now or in eternity. Lord, we, we, we pray that your kingdom would come and that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. And if you would be willing, would you use us now to make it manifest in Madison and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.